bonus episode with Carolyn Delaney on women taking the lead. It needs to happen to save lives. People need to know that that there's a way out and there's millions of us that will help, like will wholeheartedly help. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to join the community and get the resources to support you on your leadership journey. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me. I am about to take you into a conversation that I had with Carolyn Delaney of Journey Magazine. And Carolyn is so many things to so many people. I don't think it could be summed up in a bio. So what I'm going to do is I will post her bio in the show notes that accompanies this episode. Um, and you'll be able to find that at womentakingthelead.com forward slash Carolyn Dash Delaney. And Carolyn is C A R O L Y N Dash D E L A N E Y. So you'll be able to find um, her bio there. But I just wanted to um, kind of give some context around this conversation. Carolyn and I had planned on recording an uh, interview together. She and I met because she found my podcast years ago. And when I came out with my book in 2016, Accomplished, How to Go from Dreaming to Doing, Carolyn had bought it and got some pretty fantastic results from reading it and doing the worksheets. And she had reached out to me a couple months after the book's release just to say thank you. And realizing that we were local to each other, we made plans to have coffee and just had this amazing conversation. And our relationship has just exponentially grown from there. She's one of the people who I love and admire so much in my life. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say too much more because you're going to feel it too. Um, so, um, Please welcome uh, Carolyn Delaney to the Women Taking the Lead podcast, and please reach out to her if her story inspires you. Carolyn, describe what your journey was leading up to discovering the podcast. I led large IT departments. My background is technology, and in 2015, I decided to leave corporate America, and I really wanted to... Um, use my technical background and my skills to help artists. That was my first, my first uh, mission was to, um, was consulting and to help artists to create their online presence. I just, I knew so many artists and it was just, it, I felt, it, it felt so sad to me that, that they had to figure out how to put a PayPal button on a website when, you know, in a room with paint, they could do these beautiful paintings. Mm-hmm. And to see them try to harness that energy and figure out technology, it was just painful. It was hard to watch. And so I wanted to, I wanted to help figure out a better way for them to um, be self-supporting with their crafts. So I, so I started a, a, a business called Art Craft, and I, um, I learned, I dove right into digital marketing, web technologies, for, for my career I spent in IT, it was always on the inside of corporations. So 
I was really good at data analytics and I managed teams from like systems engineers to telephony to data analytics and large groups of developers. But on the outside world, in the internet world, it was it's a different, completely different world. It's a completely different technology, completely different um, processes and systems and framework. And uh, I needed to learn it all. So I dove right into digital marketing and learned a lot of different technologies and started to help my friends build websites. But I didn't know anything about being a business owner. I didn't know anything about being a, a, a business, a, a woman business owner or a leader. And I found women taking the lead. And I was just fascinated at the at your at your guests and your conversations. And there was that that statement like surround yourself with people um, that are doing what you wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know anybody physically here in Portland, Maine. Um, so I started listening to the podcast thinking that that would be my, like my mentorship. Like I would, I, and I did, and I learned a lot from listening to the interviews and what people were doing. And I found people to follow and, and I just, I was just so, I felt um, like I was part of this group and nobody even knew I was there. Like I was just listening. <laughs> I was just listening, but I felt, I felt like I was, I was learning. I was learning. I've, I've never been to college, so I don't have like a book study way of learning, but I absorb, like I absorb stuff. So, and I learned fast. And uh, so I listened to the podcast and I listened every single day, sometimes probably a couple times a day during my walk. And, and, um, and then the book came out and then I got the book and I read the book, and then I found out you were from Old Orchard Beach, Maine, and that blew my mind. <laughs> like Old Orchard Beach, Maine, right down the street. And then I sent you that email. Mm-hmm. And then up until that point, I just could not find footing. Like I was listening. I was buying a lot of planners because I really thought like if I could just get myself together and get organized. I felt what I was missing was an understanding of the processes. Like if I could just put enough things in place and have all my goals in place, then I would just keep moving and I would build a business and I built a big business to help artists. And that wasn't happening. I was walking around in my office and, and floundering, floundering. And I, I knew that there was like a way to do it because I was listening to the podcast and I knew that women had, had quote unquote figured it out. But I was just like up against myself to move forward. Mm-hmm. And I knew part of that was like physical relationships and like actually like talking to somebody. Like I was, I was absorbing, but I wasn't making connection yes. with people. That's I, I, when I reached out to you. I do want to underscore too is um, that is very typical of the women who find me. Now there are those out there who lack the systems right? Or they're not quite sure what they they should be doing, right? So they need to gain the knowledge. They need to gain the systems. Typically, when somebody finds me and they feel a connection, it's because they have the knowledge. They have the systems. That's not the problem. It's more mindset and the stories we have about ourselves that get in our way. And, you know, you had just for, I remember in, from the coffee we had, there were a couple of stories that were holding you back in your business. Do you remember what you shared with me in that meeting? If I remember correctly, probably one that I didn't go to college because that's always a big story that I tell myself. Yeah. Um, the other was that 
um, I was playing, well, you told me I was playing really small. Like I was like, even you were the very first person I met for coffee, mm-hmm. like outside of, outside of you, my relationships were with people in my recovery community. Mm-hmm. So, or my business or my, um, or my, um, my corporate world, people that I had led and, and the, you know, the, the big employers, but, but in a intimate, like a connection, like a cup of coffee, like that was a really big deal for me. Yes. Um, and I'm pretty sure I cried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we both did. I think we both did. <laughs> Um, was there other stories that I was telling you? What I re- you recall, I won't go into details because um, it's your story to share if you want or not. It might not even be relevant, but it was, and this is the age old, I'm not good enough, yeah. right? If people knew if people what I had you. been through, they would yeah. not take me seriously. They would not want to do business with me. Yeah. And one of the things um, that I... That's why this word journey, I know it's very common, but sums it up. Like what we talked about was, look how far you've come. Yeah. Look at yeah, how I, much you've accomplished. I, I don't even remember that. And, be, and I know it now. I like, I remember that because I didn't change my LinkedIn, right? So when I went to change my LinkedIn about journey, uh, it was scary because, mm-hmm. because that was telling the whole world that I, I am an alcoholic in recovery and a drug addict in recovery. But, but when we met back in, I think it was 2017, right? Like February ish. Mm-hmm. I think I just celebrated or I was celebrating my anniversary. Yes, that's right. Because the book came out in November of 2016 and yes. we met up about three months later. Yes. Yes. And I think that, um, that, the, that I was trying to figure out a way to, build relationships in the business community without people finding out that I'm a drug addict and alcoholic in recovery. Mm-hmm. Because if they only knew, right. Mm-hmm. If they only knew that my, that I was a homeless gutter drunk, if they only knew that I spent, you know, two years in treatment before I got my kids back, if they only, like I had all of these stories about like people wouldn't take me serious. They questioned me. They wouldn't trust me. They would consider me one of those people, you know, yeah. that, that word stigma. Yeah. I was perception. just thinking that word, the stigma of having a past. Yes. That perception around. And you know what I learned? I learned this through the book and, and the last couple of years is that all of those stories about the stigma and perception of what other people think of me was bull. <laughs> it was, it wasn't, it wasn't true. It wasn't right. real. You made it, it up just, in your head. I, I made it up in my head, mm-hmm. you know, and I've seen, I have seen discrimination of people, you know, that, that have trouble getting jobs and things like that. But for the most part, like 80% of the world, those judgments are in my head mm-hmm. because everyone I've met since I started the magazine just wants to help. Right. Just want to help. They're the judgments so, we have within ourselves that we project onto people and yes. so then make other people a threat to us. And so we stay away from them and we don't right. go after things. We don't try because we think we've already failed. Right, right. And it makes it really scary. If I think that you're going to judge me because of where I've been, then I have to, one, have a really big filter on, right? I have to make sure that I don't say anything about anything that's real to me. and it. It, it's almost like there's a barrier between me and you because I'm scared of talking. Right. 
I'm scared of saying anything because I'm not sure if my filter will be in place for that day. <laughs> right. And <laughs> to not say meeting or drug addict or alcoholic or, you know, recovery like or recovery or yeah, any of the sponsor. things that are really, yeah. you know, near and dear to, and part of who I am as a human being. And part of what makes you powerful too. Like yeah. the, a lot of your power comes from your experiences and the work that you're doing. The other thing I was thinking while you were talking is when we filter ourselves that much, it makes it nearly impossible to have a real human connection with the person we're filtering ourselves so much with, right? Because you did say you did have people who were close to you, but they were in these like small groups of people who you had built trust with like over long periods of time. Mm -hmm. Allowing new people in was nearly impossible. Like because somebody probably, you didn't even realize it, had to pass a lot of tests or open up (laughs) first you know, about, you know, a shared experiences before you would let your guard down and stop filtering yourself so much. And and we don't realize that sometimes when we're trying to, quote unquote, behave and perform and that sort of thing, we're not having a real human connection. And then on top of that, so the idea of having coffee dates and networking, (laughs) you know, putting yourself out there and being visible, that's one of the last things you, list of things you want to do. That's amazing. Carolyn, what were um, some of the other takeaways you, ha- you got from the book that helped you? So when I, so when I read the book, a, f- a couple of things that hit me right away. One was that everything that I had been experiencing, the um, floundering on getting traction, the being scared of being seen, the wanting to filter my past, fear around putting myself in a new environment of people because of all of those. Like that was like the human condition, right? That that's what I learned. Like you talk about that stuff. You talk about cocooning and the superpowers and, and I, the, my behavior, my alter ego was kicking in big time. Like that's what I read in the book was like, Oh, that's a fear reaction. That stuff that I'm doing is a reaction to, to internal fear that I've built up in my head mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with reality. And I think it was really our work together was about like, I don't want to say stepping out because I think that even my first like dozen or 20 coffee dates, I didn't tell anybody I was in recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, I really, I think my first, my first um, growth spurt was really the coffee dates. Mm-hmm. I remember, I think I called you after my first one and said, oh my God, I hugged her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember that. And just that like, and I was, I had to, uh, yeah, I was just so scared to meet her for coffee. Christina, of all people. Yes. I was just so scared. So my first growth was like meeting people for coffee and having a conversation with them about what they're doing in the world and sharing what I was doing in the world yeah. without getting into that. I was homeless and without getting into that whole history, like even just showing up in that little tiny way was a really, really big deal. For it was a really big deal. And I want to honor the baby step, right? Yes. Because even yeah. though you knew, yeah. and we just went into like filtering and how that can keep you from people, you know, this isn't always about like, 
okay, I see everything that's getting in my way. I'm dropping my guard. I'm throwing myself out there because we're not ready for that. Like for you, the first step was let me get comfortable meeting people and allowing people in a little bit and telling them what I'm up to in the world. And eventually you get to the place where you have a genuine connection with somebody and you share your story. Right, right. And who knew? I mean, I was thinking... I was looking back at like just my notes from 2017 and I remember you saying something at during our coffee date about me like talking in front of, of like 20 people and I was like no <laughs> 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 and now I'm uh, such a different person. Mm-hmm. I'm such a different person today. Yeah. So that whole like baby step of like okay first I'm going to learn how to meet people <laughs> yep. and have a conversation. But we also talked about cocooning and every time I Every time I experienced success in my business, I would do something to like cocoon, like every single time. It was for a while, it was like pop, a popcorn and a nap. Yes. Like, that's what happened. I, had, <laughs> I, would, I would come from a really good meeting. It would go well. They would, um, you know, I'd get a new client or, and we'd have a great conversation. And then I'd come home, make a bucket of popcorn and go to bed and take a nap for yeah. the rest of the afternoon. Yeah. And, and I recognized like, that even the successes, like that, it was causing me to go like, ah, alter ego, scary, scary, scary. Yes. And I did that. Because did you that hadn't changed, you hadn't changed your identity yet. And I remember this came up too. The reason why, even though the meeting went so well and you came home feeling successful, your stress reaction kicked in because it was disconnected. It was almost like a, um, it was a threat to the identity you were holding on to that. Like, I'm not good enough for this. Like I'm getting all this success and accolades and people are loving what I'm telling them. And they're excited. This doesn't compute like your mind, like in the moment you're just like, okay, this is the right way to behave. Great. We're going to move forward. But when you get home, your mind goes, none of that just made sense. Right. <laughs> shut down, you know, it was like a shutdown. This is a threat. What do I do? Because then, yeah. you know, part of it is our ego then kicks in and goes, well, this is your identity. How are you going to deliver on what you just promised? Like, you can't do that. Like, you're not, they're going to be mad at you. They're going to be disappointed. Right. And yeah. so our identity wars with the positive feedback we get externally. And then we have to shut down. Right. Because yeah. it's just yeah. overwhelming and in all our, you know, all our energy goes away. And, you know, and what you said that before, too, about how you'd had a reaction to my suggesting that perhaps you stood up in front of 20 people. I think we might have been talking about my B&I group, which was about 20 people <laughs> around that time. And what is really funny to me is by the time you did eventually come to one of my B&I meetings, I think there were 35-ish people in the room and you were fine. The second time, not the first time. Not the first time. The second time. <laughs> the first time. The first time I had just had a meeting with Carol Cox. You mm-hmm. know Carol Cox? Yes. Yeah. Love and Carol Cox. And I had written down all kinds of things, like, because I, I knew I had to introduce myself. But when I stood up and I saw all those people looking at me at BNI, I completely froze and went completely. I, I couldn't even remember my last name, my name. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. even get my name out. But the second time I was fine. Third time I was fine. But that very first time I was like, eh, you're in a headlight. Yeah. But thankfully, I had notes that she had take. She had me take mm-hmm. that said my name was Carolyn. 
You know, and I know from that first meeting, so many hearts went out to you because people can relate to that. You know, when you stand up and you're like frozen because you're public speaking, I I know I go through too. I just look at the person who's struggling and I'm like, oh, I've been there. I remember what that's like. And your heart just goes out to them. Okay. So we know at this point, you've definitely spoken in front of 35, but I know that's not your limit. What do you know? What would you uh, tell the listener, the largest group of people you've stood up and spoken in front of it, but at this point? Probably, it probably was the University of New England um, social services class, graduate so I was a guest speaker at one of their workshop events and it was probably 350 people. 350. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and our, our anniversary party, we just had our anniversary party and we had about probably 150 there. Um, and yeah. And, and, oh, and I was, I was a guest speaker at the summit, the governor's summit, and there was a couple of hundred there. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and uh, uh, not a problem at all. I've, yeah, I have I've, no I was just, problem at all. None. I was just about to say I've seen video of some of your bigger um, public speaking events, and you were smiling. Yeah. And you know, like sharing information, which is one of the things you love doing—sharing information, telling stories, you know, sharing resources. You just looked like you were at home. And having a good time. So different. And so what we're pointing to here (laughs) is the ripple effects, right? So you read the book, you took in the information, you started, you did the, and I know you did the worksheets pretty actively and the work we did together, you were doing worksheets again. Yeah. And Um, we had the Facebook group, right? With the women, we had a, we had an active Facebook group and, um, and it was, looking, I think it was the examination, like almost like an inventory about some of my reactions that I was having with each step that I was taking in my business or just in my world. And, um, and also taking inventory of my resources. So not just like the inventory of my, those alter egos that would show up and now knowing that that's just part of the human condition. I think I thought it was all reserved. Like I thought that my reactions that I was having, my floundering and my inability to move forward, my fear about human beings was um, because of my background. I thought all of it was because of, all of it was because I'm a drug addict and alcoholic. I thought that's, I thought that was the sum of who I am. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that that's not true. And I, I didn't know that until I read the book. And when I read the book, I realized like, oh, that type of behavior is pretty common. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, maybe she's a drug addict, but what I'm reading was like, all, like all humans experience that. Yes. Like all humans. So, so it really helped to kind of right size what I was doing and I started to do different. I started to do things differently. I started showing up differently. I went to Women Standing Together, which was amazing. And I got into a, an in-person mastermind, which is what I want. I was part of an online, a couple of different online masterminds. I got into an in-person mastermind, which is what I wanted. That was exactly what I needed. But when Journey started, it was almost unbelievable how I was, how even today, how I show up in a way that makes all of that stuff feel so petty. 
and irrelevant. Like my own fears, my own doubts, my own insecurities, they're petty compared to the mission that I'm on. Mm -hmm. And unimportant, right? Not just petty in that you just, you know, there's this like disdain for it. It's more that... It, it's petty in that you don't have time for it anymore. I it's not, I it. love how you said it's, it's not irrelevant. relevant. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I would put so much stock into that stuff, like the right earrings, the right clothes, the right body shape. If only I, I it seemed like I, I really thought like, if only I had this stuff in place, I could move forward. Right. And what I've learned is that having a purpose and our mission with the magazine is too important for that stuff to even be part of the conversation, really. Right. I spend zero time. People call me for a channel. I had, I had Channel 8 did a story, Channel 6 did a story, Main Biz did a story. So people started calling me for interviews. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. Not once. Have, no hesitation whatsoever. I- no hesitation whatsoever. I love this. And you're speaking about a part of the book. Um, I'm actually just going to take you back a little bit and this will okay. slingshot us forward. You started talking about resources, right? The first stage was just to identify the reactions you were having to stress, like what I refer to as the alter egos um, in the book, like that they're not who you are. They're just the the ways that you respond to stress, the thoughts, the feelings, the behaviors. And as you identify those, you can peel those away from your identity, right? That's not your identity. That's just a reaction. But I think when you, where you were going with resources was the next phase of the book where you start to take stock of what do you have working for you? Tell tell me about that. What did you discover um, on doing the book and the the worksheets associated with it? Well, and even today, I think what I find with the, what I've learned from the book is that the resources show up for me when I need them. Like that I'm resilient. I'm resourceful. I was taking stock before I read the book. I was taking stock in what I had at the moment. Like I'm a programmer. I know technology. I can code. I can project management. I can do pretty things. Like I was taking stock in the things that I physically could do, not who I am as a human being. And I think, I think my work through the book and listening to the Women Taking the Lead podcast was it helped me to get to a place of like, who am I as a human? Right. Because before, uh, before that, that alter ego part, like in reading the book, like, who am I as a human being was really locked into, I'm a drug addict and alcoholic. Mm-hmm. It was all of who I was, you know, and I, and, and a techno and an IT leader. Like that was it. That was all I was, was those two things. And, and I think with the resources and really looking at like, who am I as a human? I'm, there's, I'm a lot of things as a human being. And so whether I'm, whether I'm doing, um, IT consulting, which I had a really big contract for a long time, whether I'm doing consulting or whether I'm building websites for my friends that are artists or whether I'm helping somebody with social, whatever I'm, whatever I'm doing, I can bring my, my resource, my skills, who I am as a human being to that, mm-hmm. not just my learned lesson, not just what I've learned from a, from an intellectual craft kind of perspective, but as a human, I bring a lot of energy to a project. And I didn't really know that. Like, I think towards the end, you talk about like being capable and resourceful and 
you know, I know I, I'm resilient and I have grit and I will figure things out. If I have a desire, I will figure out how to meet that desire. Yes. And I didn't think I, I didn't think I had that. I thought, I thought I didn't understand the word desire. And now I know like it is unrelenting. When you have a desire to do something, it is unrelenting. Nothing gets in your way. Nothing. Love Different that. than a goal, but it's, you know, nothing. Nothing it gets is. in your way. It absolutely is. I mean, goals come from those desires. You're like, yeah. okay, how do I want to express this? How, you know, what's the strategy to make it happen? How do I execute yeah. it? Exactly. Yeah. But the the desire comes from what you were talking about earlier, where it's like, what is what is that purpose? And we talk about purpose and mission and legacy in the book. Like, what, what are you here to contribute? What do you want to experience? And then that ignites a fire in you. Right. Which right. then in turn, you started describing attracts and recruits other people who, yeah. who also recognize that they also share that same desire, passion, mission, and they want to help you, right? That's right. what the book right. talks about a lot too. Like we have this sometimes, especially as overachieving women, because we typically grow up, grow up being very successful doing things on our own. Right. If we rely just on ourselves, we will be successful. We'll deliver the product that we are promising to deliver. But then when you take on this huge purpose, you can't do it on your own. And, and that's part of why the coffee dates are so important because you have to share it. You have to talk about it. And, and you described how when you were starting Journey, it took off and became bigger than you even imagined at first. And not to say it wasn't hard work, because I know you were putting some work into it and having a lot of meetings, but you, my experience, whenever you talked about it, you were smiling about it. You were just amazed and in awe with what was going on. And it was just becoming, it was, it was something you birthed, but it was now growing uh, you know, almost on its own and other people were getting involved. You know, t- tell me about that experience. Sure. So when I journey is, is that kind of the end result of just a lot of conversations in the summer of 2018 in the state of Maine, we were losing like a person a day to overdoses. Like people were dying. People were dying. And, um, and I started to feel really hopeless. I, I started to feel hopeless and I'm so not a hopeless kind of girl. I'm a half full, hopeful kind of person. And there was one week where we had, I think we lost six people in seven days in our community, like in our community. And, um, And, um, and I just remember thinking like, what can we do? Like that all, the only thing you ever saw on the news were, were people dying. And there's, you know, there's 26 million of us in recovery, 26 million of us, but we weren't visible. You know, I was sitting there at my coffee table. I have this like five by three foot serenity prayer on my wall. And and I remember thinking, how do we let people know that addiction doesn't have to end in death? Like, how do we let them know and still maintain our traditions from the um, from our anonymous programs? Like, how do you how do you do that so that they can see us? And I 
started to talk to people like how can we how can we make recovery visible because that it needs to happen to save lives people need to know that that there's a way out and there's millions of us that will help like will wholeheartedly help mm-hmm. and how do we how do we make that visible how do we make these uh, anonymous <laughs> invisible communities visible right how do we do that and um this, I have to go backwards just a little bit because this is where the name comes from. Yeah. So two years ago, three years, 2017, I had a dream. Well, back in 1990, 1990 I worked as a desktop publisher, which meant that I used an, an Apple computer. It was brand new. And I made galleys that were cut and pasted together to make newsletters and magazines and catalogs and books. This was before anybody had computers in your home. It was called a desktop publisher. And I used a a program called PageMaker. And I was the desktop publisher for a, one of my customers was Journey Magazine. It was a publisher. His name was Bobby Hall and he published a newsletter called Journey. So it was a newsletter. I actually have one here. I have some here. (laughs) And um, it was for the recovery community. So at one point, I'm typing up these articles about if you drink in the morning before nine o'clock, chances are like it's a 20 question list of, you know, and then you get down to the bottom and it says if you've answered yes to four or more, chances are pretty good you're an alcoholic. So I'm typing it and I'm answering the questions and then I get to the bottom. I'm like, oh, sh- oops, <laughs> I answered yes to many more than four. So then I went back up and I was like, oh, well, I really don't do that. I really, but I was drunk at the time. Mm. I was drunk at the time. So fast forward 2017, I have a night, I have a dream. And the publisher of that newsletter was in my dream, Bobby Hall. And he was this like, crotchety old guy, like, and his face and his banner from his newsletter were the only thing I remembered. So I woke up and I told my husband, I'm like, that's really weird. Like I, I hadn't thought a journey in many, many years, many years. So that was in 2017, 2018, this starts to come up and I'm like, what about putting out something like a journey, like something that lets people know about recovery with recovery stories, personal recovery stories that say, yes, I was, I once suffered from active addiction. I found a solution that worked for me. And now I have this really amazing life and it looks completely different than just life without drugs and alcohol. Everybody I talked to wanted to help. And pretty soon I've got 20 people all saying, I want to help. And I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, now I'm managing people. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we, it went from like, it, I thought it was going to be like a newsletter type of magazine, you know, just stapled and a free newspaper. And, um, and the more people I talked to, the bigger it got. And so on November 1st, 20 of us met. And we said, let's create something that amplifies hope. And let's create something that allows people to celebrate their freedom from addiction. Let's let people know that it's possible and that we do recover. And let's show them what our lives look like. Let let people see us. Let people see us. So, of course, we had all kinds of um, things to figure out with anonymity and blah, blah, blah. But on March 1st, we got 10,000 copies of our very first issue. Mm-hmm. And it, it went so fast. Like everything happened so fast. The gov- within two weeks, the governor had a copy. 
within a month, she invited me and my team up. So, uh, so we, we had probably at one point we had about 33 volunteers helping on the magazine with distribution and resource gathering and writing. And so we have a weekly operations meeting of all volunteers and it just like one thing, it was like a, at one point, I think in July, I think in July, it almost felt like a runaway bus. Like, (laughs) (laughs) there was so much to learn. There was so much to like, you know, with no background in publishing, I reached out to local independent publishers here in Portland. So Mm -hmm. Lee Hughes from Maine Women Magazine, Heather Chandler from the Sunrise Guide. And I would invite them to lunch because I learned how to do that. And I went with a list of questions and then I'd follow up with an email saying, these were my key takeaways. Thank you for your time. And I just reached out to everyone. Joe Mishu from maintoday.com, like my score guy. Like I just kept reaching out, like, how do I do this? How do I do this? Creating a magazine and a, you know, it's not page maker anymore. It's called InDesign. So I hired a guy from India to teach me InDesign for 16 hour days. Wow. Yeah. To get that first one out. <laughs> and it's beautiful. The magazine is beautiful. I love seeing every uh, issue that comes out and putting, you know, the whole concept of putting a face on recovery because because it is anonymous and there are important reasons why yeah, people yeah. choose to do this anonymously and protect their anonymity. It also keeps people from really seeing like you said, 20 million people in the United States are in recovery, right? And and I remember you and I talking about it and you're like, they are your coworkers. They're the people you do business with. They are your, your church. They're in your church community. Like they are active functioning, you know, members of the society. And, but it's, it's in hiding and we don't, we don't see it. We don't recognize it. And, you know, kudos to, um, the people in the community who, who have opted to share their story and make their recovery public because it does give a face to it. It really takes the stigma away from being in recovery, which I think was one of your goals, even though I love your message of amplify hope. There's always a part of me that's like, and take this, it takes the sting and the stigma away from it as well. What has come of it that, that you've seen? What changes have occurred? Oh, it, so many. Holy moly. So our initial thought was that the magazine was going to be for the recovery community. So our goal was to get into the prison system, which we are. So we're distributed throughout the prison system and the jails, probation, parole, and pre-release. So we're in those systems where hope is needed. Let's face it. Hope is needed. You know, that that the life that got them into those situations doesn't necessarily have to be the life that they continue leading. Like that was our our main goal, our first goal. But what's happened since the magazine launched is that our readers are much broader. Like it's not just the recovery community. It's friends and family members. It's employers who know that addiction is hitting their bottom line. Mm-hmm. Addiction costs for treatment and employee morale and absenteeism. Like addiction is hitting everybody across the spectrum. And, and what we didn't see is that by putting out a magazine about recovery from addiction, the attraction to that conversation is a little bit more accessible. 
right? Because we're not, we're not talking trauma. We're not like, we're not talking about addiction in its active state. We're talking about recovery. Mm-hmm. So family members would call me and employers have called me and businesses have called me. How can we support you in getting this message out wider? So getting into the Hannafords and the Shaws and we had calls from the magazine, all of the state. We have, um, we have subscribers. So people paying $37.50 for the magazine to be mailed to them in 26 states. A main magazine, a free main magazine in 26 states. Because the stories aren't specific. I mean, for us, it's all about Maine. We're, we're Maine. But, um, but it's actually the fact that the person who's telling their story, like Damien, Damien's a college kid that had to stop going to college because his addiction was taking him down fast. And, you know, so now he's graduated, he's going into law school. Like, it's people like that, where you don't, if you don't go looking for us, you're not going to see us. Mm-hmm. So I think that what the magazine being in print and now other platforms is that we're getting in front of people who normally wouldn't Google, how do I stop drinking? Right. That, that somebody's picking up the magazine at a coffee shop and reading about recovery and getting just a little insight in the fact that there doesn't need to be shame around it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not a moral failing that it's a disease that, that there's a solution, whatever you want to call it, however you want to, however you want to label that thing that you have, whether it's a behavioral or substance addiction, whatever that is, however you want to label it, know that there's other people who have, who have struggled with that same type of label and now they're not struggling. So whatever that is. And to, to, so we found that we were appealing to a lot of people, a lot of different people doctor's offices want, you know, wanted it in their waiting rooms and hospitals wanted it. We were, they were giving us out at the um, police departments were carry, are carrying the mag, well, we're carrying the magazine in their trunks mm-hmm. to give them out at a scene at an event. The hospitals were giving them out at overdoses. You know, so we found that, that people are just hungry for hope, just hungry for hope. And I think that having stories about you know, your neighbor, you know, people with a a first name, a last name and a face and a city that says, I was there. I'm not there. Here's my life. That it puts some, it gives, it gives a vision of what a life without drugs and alcohol or behavior could could be. It's so much easier to move towards something when you can see it. Yes. You know, to dream it and to imagine it, you know, we'll never, I think this is also expressed uh, in the book accomplished that if you can't envision it, how are you going to get there? Right. Right. You know, and this gives people a glimpse of what's possible. Right. And they can move towards it. Especially if you're suffering from addiction, you know, when you when you're suffering from an addiction, the thought of living without that, whatever that is, is painful. It's suffering. So yeah. to, to not have any replacement of what life could look like without that suffering is inhumane, really, right? Like if you think about like, okay, I have this addiction or this thing that is um, something I can't stop on my own. I know it's killing me. 
I can't stop it. The thought of taking that away from somebody without giving them a, yes, but here's your life with abundance and joy and love and care and concern and, and a community of people. Like it's inhumane. Mm. It's inhumane. So to be able to see like, wow, there's this beautiful community of people that were once there and are now not, you know, like there's a, like you said, there's a vision of a future that you can't even imagine when you're sick and suffering. You can't even imagine it. I no. can imagine it. And when you think you don't deserve it. Right. Right. But right. here are some people who've done what you've done, have yeah. been through what you've been through. And they're, they're okay. They've gotten beyond it. They're okay. Right. And they're living good lives right now. Hence, by powers of deduction, we go, well, if they can have a good if life, they can have- doesn't that mean I can have a good life, right? Sometimes we have to see people who've been where we've been, right. you, know, right. you know, going to the next level before we realize like, oh, I can have that. I deserve it. I can get there. Carolyn, you've got me all fired up and I'm sure you've got other people fired up too. So let me ask you this. How can people get involved in your mission? Um, recovery-journey.com is our website. We are in the process of revamping it because of COVID. Yes. Well, our plans have sped up <laughs> to do, um, to do, we really want to offer an opportunity for those people who are in recovery to share their stories with us. And we invite them. If they're at a place where they want to share their stories, we want to hear them. We want to amplify them. We want to distribute them so that other people can see that, that hope that almost like a lighthouse, you know, like, (laughs) and also sharing, sharing our stories that I think that the conversation around recovery in some weird way is new. So the more that people share our stories, we have stories about the Rotarians and we have stories about businesses helping with recovery. Don't be afraid to say the word recovery from addiction. Like, that that's how they can, that's how people can help. If, if it's a conversation that you're not afraid of, just sharing out really positive things about the recovery movement on Facebook. Like, I think that we all get an opportunity these days to make a decision about what we're going to amplify, mm. you know, and for you listeners, this is a conversation that it will save lives. It will save lives. So sharing those stories, sharing the positive things in any of their local resources around recovery centers is another way to help those in um, the recovery movement. Okay. So that website again? Recovery-journey.com. Yep. And I'm going to make sure um, that is in the show notes page along with all the different platforms that people can connect with you. Definitely reach out to Carolyn, check out the website, the 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 work you're doing is just fantastic. And like you said, it, it keeps amplifying whether you want it to or not. Like it, it is, it is taking hold. It's catching fire. And I think because, um, it's so needed and it is so important. So Carolyn, thank you for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Thank you all for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. And to strengthen you on your own leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson, so here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? 
Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.